This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And I suck you up and I spit you out and I play with your babies till you scream Hello, everyone, and welcome to Burn It All Down. It might not be the feminist sports podcast you want, but it's the feminist sports podcast you need. I'm Lindsay Gibbs, sports reporter at Think Progress, here with everyone, all of my favorite people, Brenda and Jess and Shireen and Amira. Hey, everyone. Hey. (laughs) I suppose I should start by saying Happy New Year. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually mid-December when we're recording this, but it should be 2018 when you're listening, unless we have done something very, very wrong or I cannot read a calendar, which (laughs) both are actual possibilities. So this is our second best of episode. On this week, you're going to be hearing some of our favorite interview segments from the first 33 episodes of Burn it all down. And then next week, we'll be back with our first original episode of the new year. First, before we all share our 2018 sports wishes, which is how we're going to kick this off, I wanted to take a second to remind you all about our Patreon campaign, which we just launched a few weeks ago. Patreon is really cool. You can become an official patron of our podcast if you pledge a monthly donation to burn it all down. Your donation can be as small as $1 a month or as big as you can imagine. (laughs) In exchange for the monthly donation, you get really special rewards from us. We record Patreon-only podcast segments, and our first segment is already out. You also could have opportunities to add to the burn pile and receive a special newsletter curated by the host and more. If you go to our Patreon page, there are details for the tiers and more of the rules and regulations. This support from your Patreon donations allows us to continue to go forward week in, week out. High-quality editing quick turnarounds, transcripts, which help make us more accessible, and maybe achieve our dreams of hiring a part-time producer. We've all put so much time into this in 2017, and while we love it, it would be so wonderful to have someone help us coordinate everything and also maybe take this on the road so we can see you all in person and record some live shows. Anyways, that's all my, my... I forgot the word when you're begging, I guess, is <laughs> the proper word. <laughs> going to move on. We thought it'd be fun to talk about our 2018 sports wishes. And I would like to start things out contentiously <laughs> and oh. say that I hope that, sorry, guys, brace yourselves, that the Patriots don't win the Super Bowl this Boo! year. And, <laughs> and wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, that imagine. the USA women be the Canadian women in hockey at the Olympics. Woo! Oh, okay. okay. All right. 
<laughs> really just starting fires here, huh? <laughs> you know. <laughs> Let's start this new year off with a bang. All right. Amir, I will let you respond. Do you have any wishes? Well, I do not have the same wishes. Well, I mean, yay, go USA and all that. But I, you know, I love the rings. I can't help it. Anyways, no, my my best of or my happy wish for the future is just this kind of I wish that women's sports especially women's collegiate sports just get more play in 2018 i'm coming off of watching i've gotten so into women's college volleyball like this penn state team has been so exciting to watch and rec hall here is this really dope environment they have their own cheerleaders their own band and it's just like to watch how many people get so invested in this team and how good the games are how competitive they are it's just like i i just want it to be widely accessible i want to be available i want them to get the And I really hope that going into this next year, women's sports writ large just get more and more coverage from newspaper coverage to on television. Preach. All right, Shireen, I will now let you speak up for Canada. Yeah, I don't actually need to do that because we're 3-0 against the USA going into the Olympics. <laughs> so my wish isn't actually, it's not something I have to pray wildly for because it's just, honestly, it's just going to happen organically. My that's wish fair, fair. my wish for this coming year, and I really hope it happens, is just sort of building off the hockey thing is for the CWHL and NWHL, I would love, love, love to see these players get living wages. I would love to see the women who are on the ice and are playing for sport. And this isn't specific for only hockey players like you know in all of our wishes daily and our little supplications we pray for the decimation of financial abuse of female athletes and misogyny and, 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 and sexism and the systems of racism as well and transphobia and homophobia but you know remunerating the athletes and paying them for what they're doing if they're representing regions if they're representing countries I want to see these women get fair wages and I want their work and their sport to be amplified I mean that's really, really what I want. Oh, that's that's a good one. Brenda? I want a really good lawyer to go to the Supreme Court and say that not paying NCAA players <laughs> is a labor violation. Yeah. Yes. I want them to rule yes, that it is a labor violation and you can't do it. So I don't have to be part of the toxic system that has athletes making zero and coaches like Nick Saban making millions and millions of dollars with zero risk. I want Russia 2018 to be moved immediately to a different place <laughs> where where you know gay spectators can hold hands. Yeah. And and none of that will will happen, of course. I want the North Koreans to put their figure skaters in Pyeongchang. Yeah. <laughs> but if I looked with the realistic glasses, yeah, I want Argentina to win the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a thing for one of Argentina's players? Actually, more <laughs> than one. I'm okay. one. And, 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 and just to tell you, like, I would also be pretty happy with Brazil because I'm a really big Paulinho fan. But yeah, I want Germany to go down. I'm not interested in long ball. I can't believe that exists anymore. So, <laughs> I, you know, Jeff's skills at dribbling, etc. Tiki taka, tiki taka. Oh, I love the way you say that. <laughs> Ooh. All right, Jess. Yeah, so I have two big ones and two smaller ones. I would, I hope that we continue to see all this activism from athletes. Like, I just find it so inspiring. And I do think it matters. Like, I think what 
they're all doing has had a real tangible impact on the conversations that we are currently having in this country. And we need it more than ever at this moment. I'd also like to see and I wish for more accountability at the top of teams, universities, athletic departments, conferences, and the NCAA around the exploitation in the system, right? I'm talking about not just sort of the things that I often talk about, which are issues of gendered violence, but academics and the level of education that these players are getting, the health of the players. Like, I, I hope that the people who are in charge of all this stuff, they are held accountable in the next year. And then my two small ones are going to be no surprise to anyone who knows me at all. I am wishing for Serena's return to the court. <laughs> and I am yes. wishing for Venus to get a Grand Slam this year. Yes. Yay. Absolutely. Yeah. To kind of circle back to some non-antagonistic ones, <laughs> or at least for this crew, for me, I'd love to see Colin Kaepernick's lawsuit for collusion yeah. actually yes. go through. I'd like to see the NFL have to go through the discovery process. We all would love that. <laughs> and, right. and I'd like to see him get a fucking job yeah. as a quarterback in the NFL if he still wants to. And I'd also really, on a Super serious note, like to see Michigan State and USA Gymnastics held accountable for their in systematic enabling of Larry Nasser. And, you know, I'd like to see some actual changes <laughs> happen in both of those organizations and some actual contrition would be nice to see. In the Olympics, I, I just couldn't really stop thinking about the Olympics, but there are two Olymp USA Olympians who I'd really like to see win medals this year. Shawnee Davis, the great speed skater who did not medal mm, in yes. Sochi when the oh, USA, Davis. The USA yes. figure skater or speed skaters had, I don't know if you remember in Sochi, there was, their suits were messed up and there was, you yeah. know, a lot of controversy. And so he was going, He that, just, that was supposed to be his really big Olympics without Apollo Ono there. He was supposed to be the face of US speed skating, and then it was a really disappointing Olympics for him. So I'm hoping he gets back to the Olympics and is able to medal. And Lindsay Jacob Ellis, who, if you know stories of Olympic heartbreak, you know she's one of the most decorated X Games stars, but has had just heartbreaking finishes at the Olympics are kind of her her MO. So I, I would love to see her get that gold medal that her resume so deserves. Any final thoughts? I just have a really quick one. I want to see more of Tim Duncan in social media. <laughs> I know that he came Brain out for, for a very, for a very, you know, important purpose of helping, you know, hurricanes, survivors and victims of those storms, tropical storms in the U.S. Virgin Islands. But I love seeing Timmy all over social media. So I'm here for that and hope it continues. Yeah. And can I just say, I don't know what resolutions will come true or not, but whatever it is, I cannot wait to spend 2018 recording with Aww. you guys and tracking all of the stories, good, bad, burnable, or otherwise. Yay. It really, it, this was the highlight of my 2017, and it's one of the most reasons I'm hopeful in this crazy, crazy <laughs> world, I would say. Thank you all so much. And here are some of our best interviews of the year, and we look forward to coming to you live next week. Thanks, friends. One of our great accomplishments this year was interviewing the whip-smart Jamel Hill. Back on September 6, 2017, Jessica interviewed Jamel Hill, the co-host of ESPN Sports Center, before the Trump administration's ridiculous attack on her. In this interview, 
Hill explains the painful realities of being a fan of college football in the wake of sexual abuse and other scandals, all in the most funny and charming of ways. Welcome, Jamel Hill, to Burn It All Down. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So you recently participated in a roundtable for Sports Illustrated about being publicly political in this moment. And in that, you said, quote, when you're under the leadership of a president that refuses to condemn Nazis and racism, how am I supposed to function the rest of the day and pretend as if I give a shit about Blake Bortles losing his job? So, Jamel, how do you do it? How do you give a shit? I have to say, like, some days it's a struggle and it doesn't just apply to the presidential leadership. When you look at what happened in Houston and these events that go on and when you're in sports, everybody's like, oh, but sports is an escape. And I'm just astounded by that concept because, yeah, sports is what I do for a living, but I'm also a citizen of this world and in this country. And there are days there it's really hard to focus on sports. Last summer was another perfect example between what happened in, in Dallas and Philando Castile, like it was tough. Like there were days where Mike and I came into work where it just felt like either we were in some alternate universe or we shouldn't be there. It just, it was just really hard. So maybe I'm envious of the people who can say like stick to sports or sports is my escape. I'm just like, I just am not really built that way. So yeah, I mean, I I try my hardest to obviously focus on the job and the task at hand, but it's just not always very easy, especially given our current climate. In a moment like this, something I think a lot about at this point, like what is the role of sports? For me, I've been watching the US Open this week. Tennis is my favorite sport to watch and it does feel like escapism. And then at the same time, I get on social media and I am inspired by what Kaepernick and other football players are doing. And what do you think is the role that sports can can or should play in in moments like this and maybe culture at large? I just talked about what's happening in Houston is that I've been extremely inspired by what a lot of professional athletes have done in terms of deciding among themselves and not like they have some kind of secret meeting that they were going to, you know, really lead the way in terms of donations and getting the word out and even seeing some of the the videos that don't necessarily make mainstream media like Gerald Green for him to be driving around in a truck and looking for boats I'm inspired by that I'm inspired by the fact that they feel this need and obligation to be active and you take that as you said Colin Kaepernick what he's done what he sacrificed it's it's hard not to be moved by that and Michael Bennett what Michael Bennett has done I mean the, the fact that he has kind of taken the baton from Colin Kaepernick and decided that he was going to be a voice. And the fact that he's writing a book and doing all these different things, like I'm, I am, I am constantly in awe of their movement because for, I think we went through a dead period in sports where athletes weren't encouraged or didn't feel obligated or didn't feel like they needed to do that. And now it feels like there's a different wave and a different momentum among them where they really feel like we need to be more than just people that entertain you. I wanted to ask you about being a fan. I think you know, and most people that know me know that I'm a Florida State alum, and I have had a rough go with my relationship to the school over the last five years and the athletic department and making sense of the choices that they've made, right? You're pretty famous for your fandom of Michigan State. And so Michigan State, back in the spring, there were two big simultaneous 
sort of scandals, abuse scandals that came out, right? One is still ongoing in the courts with Larry Nasser. He was the sports physician who has reportedly abused dozens of women over multiple decades. He worked for Michigan State. Some of these women have said they reported to the university and nothing happened. And then simultaneously to this, there were four different football players at Michigan State who were involved in two different sexual assault cases, three players in one, one in the other. All of them have been dismissed. There was an athletic department or football staffer who got involved in the middle of the one with the three guys and the police said that he interfered. I mean, it was just like, we're just rolling it out. And I just saw that there's an article going into the season, you know, sort of like, where are we now with, with sexual assault and football at Michigan State? It's so much. What advice do you have? I get the, I get asked this a lot. Like, what advice do you have for people who, I mean, have, it's their school that have, that's in the spotlight or their team, right? We see this on the professional level too. Like, how have you as a fan made sense? And what are you thinking going into this season for Michigan State? I think despite whatever fandom I have and obvious sentiment I have for my university, it, I, I still believe strongly, like, they need to be held accountable like I would look at any university. You, you mentioned both of the scandals. Larry Nasser was a little different because I felt like as a university, as a school, that was very disappointing. And disappointing doesn't even do it justice with how we handled that. And what made that even tougher for me is the gymnastics coach, Kathy Clegas. I know her very well. Up at the beat, me, Kathy, and another friend, like we, we were friendly. We socialized together a lot. And I was... Stunned wasn't even the word to describe it, but her level of being tone deaf, and I haven't spoken. I haven't spoken to her since. Not not because it was on purpose, but like I was still trying to process the fact that somebody like I socialized with on a regular basis could undermine and turn her back on women who were constantly telling her that this was happening. That was much tougher to process than what happened on the football team. Only because, like, the and we, we don't deserve a cookie for this or a pat on the back, at least for, with the football team. It, it was handled and dealt with in a way that made me have confidence that there was not something Baylor-esque happening there. Once they discovered that the Stafford, as you mentioned, the assistant had been involved, had interfered, he was dismissed. My one dissatisfaction with that is that one of the players involved was somebody who already coming to the university had a history of sexual assault. Yes, sure, you can go with the whole second chance vibe, but the second chance doesn't have to be you, okay? And I just felt like it was just completely unnecessary for him to even be at the university. And lo and behold, he did what was in his past and what, you know, was in some way very predictive. So from that standpoint, I was very disappointed that Mark D'Antonio even had somebody like that on the football team. Does it diminish what this season is? For me, no, because, look, I'd rather us go 0-12 with nobody on the team that is sexually assaulting women. I'm fine with that. As long as I feel good about the players that are on the team, about the direction of the leadership, I'm completely okay with losing. Even though this season, from a purely football perspective, is going to probably be not so good because those players were significant starters for us that were dismissed, I'm fine with that because I don't want to look out there on the field and feel some kind of angst or feel dirty about rooting for my own team knowing that there's a player on the team 
that I feel like it has abused a woman. I can I can suffer through this season. But yeah, I mean, I, I hope our entire administration, they realize the gravity of this. And for people out there everywhere, like everybody, it was fine for a lot of people to point at Baylor and have this self-righteousness about what happened there. Like Michigan State, much like what Florida State went through, it will happen at your university. It does happen at your university. It just, you know, maybe it hasn't reached a point where it's become some kind of public scandal, but this happens everywhere. This is not unique to certain universities. There's a big Florida State football game coming up this weekend. By the time this airs, it will have played out. And my husband and I have already had the discussion of like, are we going to watch it? And we are. Did you take a time out from Florida State football for a while or did you continue to watch? So I used to be diehard where I would have this season memorized. Like I knew when we were playing Miami, we wouldn't like nothing scheduled that weekend because we need to watch the game kind of stuff. And I it was more like I would watch it if I had the TV on and it was on, but I couldn't. I just couldn't. I And I still struggle with it because so much of what we found out about Florida State was systemic within the athletic department. And a lot of those people are still there. And that's the kind of thing I think about. I have that angst, Jamel, when, I, <laughs> when I'm watching. I just think it's sort of you make do of what you can. Every kind of pop culture is problematic, right? There are certainly movies. There's certain music that we listen to. Now, it's, it's definitely some people that I can't listen to or go see because it just is so problematic, you know? Like somebody like R. Kelly comes to mind. Like, I can't, I can't with R. Kelly, which is uh, almost, it's just really interesting just because he was such a a big part of when I grew up. Like everybody was listening to R. Kelly. I can't stand the sound of his voice now. So, but yeah, you're right. In, In pop culture, we all make these choices and we make these deals with ourselves. And there is a part of me that's just like, okay, well, why does one kind of, I'm constantly evaluating, like, why does one strike you one way and another one doesn't? So I just implore all my favorite actors and musicians, please, God, don't do anything. But I will quit you. I don't want to, but I will. Yeah, I think that too. Whenever I like someone on I'm like, come on, Kevin Durant, like, come on. (laughs) (laughs) You got to come through with your dad. Thank you so much for being on, Jamel. I just really appreciate you all the time, and I love watching you on SportsCenter every day. You always look so good. I know that's not the most important thing, but... (laughs) Um, I I try. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Jessica. One of our favorite interviews of the year was definitely Brenda's interview with Sissy and Taffa, two legendary Brazilian soccer players who are advocates of the women's game and of battling down and burning down toxic patriarchy and masculinity in Brazilian football. They talk about inspiring young women and fighting for their rights in soccer. Today, Burn It All Down is honored to have Sissy and Taffa, two legendary Brazilian internationals, whose names topped the recent open letter from women's soccer players to the Brazilian Federation that we call CBF or CBF. So today we're going to talk to them about the letter and the reaction to it. Hi, thank you both for being with us. Thank you for having us. Pleasure. Always good to talk to you guys. So both of your names top this open letter. Could you just describe to listeners what the letter is asking for? I start thinking about the letter, not exactly the letter, but this is Tafa, by the way. (laughs) 
uh, I start to talk about some options of what to do with Moya Dodd, that uh, she worked for FIFA before, especially yeah. in, a, in a council of equality, gender equality. And uh, after Emily Lima was fired from, from the national team, I felt that we needed to do something about it. So we contact Moya and we ask her what we can do to make this go around the world because I think it's, it's some kind of discrimination to fire Emily after 10 months of uh, work and, you know, and not enough time to, to implement what she, he, she had in mind, you know. So Moya gave some ideas and we brainstormed and we got to the point that we said, okay, what about if we do this ladder? And the next day, some players from the national team start to retire. So Cristiani was the first one, then came a friend and the other players. And we thought that there was the moment. So we, we had to do something really is strong about, we had to speak up and really be strong in our positions that there was not okay. So that is when we start to, to figure it out, okay, let's let's put this ladder and let's see if we, more people can enjoy the ladder, giving some quote so we can send, you know, around the world to the media, around the world and CBF can feel the pressure. And that is when we start to, you know, put our thoughts together and put in a ladder. And when we published, we were kind of expecting that we would get some support, but it was really, I think, uh, beyond our, our expectations, the support that we got. We didn't know at that point that, you know, our letter is going to, it was going to cause like a big impact, like what before, I would say 24 hours, we were very surprised. But I think the fact that Emily was fired and the fact also that Christiane decided to speak up, I think that's when we finally realized we got to do something, you know, because we had a very similar situation before, you know, Taf and I, when we were playing for the national team, there are a lot of things that Christiane mentioned during her interview that also helped happen with us. But we never thought that at this point, you know, a player like her is going to, you know, at this point, come out and say, okay, this this is how I feel, this is what we need to do. So I think that's the time, and maybe they're asking why you guys are involved with this, because I think it's it's not only because we live here, but we know we already, we, what you're trying to do is help the next generation, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it's give a chance for them to do something they love, but I think that's the time. Mm -hmm. And we had a chance to see what happened here in the United States, so... I hope we can help the young players that, you know, we have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of talents in Brazil. So yeah. let's see. We are very strong about that. We can make things happen. So for you both, what are the top changes? Like what are the most important changes you would like to see? The main thing I think is the structure, you know, we feel that we have been playing soccer for more than 30 years. The first national team was in 1988. It's going to be, you know, 30 years of the first national team to be selected. And we didn't see a lot of changes in these 30 years. Pretty much is the same with, uh, you know, small improvements. And I think uh, the world is improving a lot. You know, we have in South America 
Venezuela, Colômbia, Equador that have, you know, youth soccer is, is getting stronger and stronger each time because they are they are investing in, in, in future generations. And we see that Brazil was stuck in the same mentality and the same priorities. So my point is we need to make sure that the future generation has a better structure than they we have right now and we, that we had in the past. I think they have to have a better structure. They have to have a, a more professional mind. And I think professionalism in Brazil is necessary. Because, you know, right now, kids that play soccer in Brazil, girls that play soccer in Brazil, they don't, vis- they don't have that vision of being a career in the future because we don't have that structure. So a lot of talents are lost in Brazil because families don't encourage them to, to follow their dreams, you know. Families are saying, you know, that is not a career. That is not going to make you to, to survive in that macho culture, you know. So first, we need to open their minds to change the mentality in Brazil and make sure that the families encourage the girls to follow their, their dreams, changing the structure that we have up there. So obviously, we know that it's not only CBF that needs to change the mentality. It's all the, 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 the organizations, the that runs the, the soccer in Brazil, you know, these federations, mm-hmm. state federations, local, what do you say, districts that need, needs to encourage the, the women to with tournaments and things like that. But this needs to happen, needs to change, because if not, we're going to continue to suffer with development of these, these girls. And we are not mm-hmm. going to have future generations to, to continue to do what we have been doing for 30 years. Also, yeah. we are looking to... Of course, we want CBF to give an opportunity for ex-former players to get a position, you know, and we know that they are like working to get their license, but also they are not get a chance to work in Brazil. So it's like it's all together. New York is a lot of pressure. Yeah, it's, it's like, not it's not fighting for the fact that Emily was fired. That's not that. I think it's everything. We are trying to make sure that that's the time we want to see changes, but it's not like that's they keep it happening. Oh, we're gonna do this, but never happen. So if we see here, you know, you can see the structure, the opportunity yeah, yeah. over here. It's at same time it's different than it, that is in Brazil. So that's what we like to see uh, over there as well. Have you heard anything in response? Yes. To the letter. Yes. yes. After 24 hours, after 24 hours that we wrote the letter and we publishing so, social media and New York Times also, uh, you know, put it there. And mm-hmm. So 24 hours, the president of CBF said that he, uh, I received a call from from one of his assistants saying that uh, he's open his agenda to receive uh, a group of former players to discuss further what needs to be done in, in a women's soccer in Brazil. And the meeting is going to be October 17th. Next Tuesday. Next okay. Tuesday. Wow. Are either of you going? We cannot go, but we're going to participate through video conference. So we're going to be in video. Okay. Unfortunately, a lot of players that signed the letter are overseas. They are not living in Brazil. So we're going to have two representatives face-to-face. And we're gonna have hopefully for Miga is gonna is gonna be able also to participate in video conference. But we're gonna have three or four players that former players that signed the letter uh, participating through video conference. 
Why do you think some well-known players have been reluctant to sign the letter? That is a point. She really uh, is hard to talk in that point because, you know, each one has their mind. I think is, is you know, is, is what you think about, how you can help about. Some players felt that, like Cristiani, I think she was for so long in the national team that she felt that this is the time that for her she needs to make an impact leaving the national team, you know, to create this debate. She, she thought that she needs to leave the national team to create the debate. I think mm-hmm. for other players, it's more like, I still think that I can make difference being inside. I hope so. I hope that those players really make sure that they make the impact inside. But we don't hear too much about it, you know. So I, I praise, I praise what uh, Cristiani did because it takes a lot of courage. And I think, you know, when you are to the point that you, you, you leave the women's soccer for so long, all the problems that women's soccer have in Brazil, you leave that for so long that you feel that the way that you're going to impact is living your dreams. That, for me, tells something about your character. So I really praise what Cristiani did. And she gave, I think, the fact that maybe people say, oh, but Cristiani is at the end of her career. That's that's not exactly. I can see that she still could help the national team. But we respect, you know, those ones that decide hey, the best thing is for us to do something with the national team. We respect that. But I think we got to look overall everything. So definitely, I think when I saw the video, I... It was very powerful because, you know, after we can say Martin Cristiani has been, of course, with Fumiga, this generation, especially Cristiani, she's already did a lot for the national team. So yeah. we felt that, you know, it's, we, it's not obligation, but we felt we, that that's the time for us to do something. And we, I have to say, you know, contacting a lot of people to see how much, they were willing to help, you know, we, we've been, especially Tafa, I can't believe it, it's like 24-7, mm-hmm. trying to contact people and figure it out what we can do. It's been a lot of work. So at the end, I hope we can make some change. We can see the change. And because this we, this is what we, we've been looking for for all these years. So yeah, it's tough. But uh, I think what keeps you going? What keeps you going after all of those years? How do you find the motivation to pick yourselves up? Passion. The this passion. Is the passion. The, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I think living here, you can see also, you know, so living in California. You yeah, mean. in the United States, is we can see how much, you know, how much soccer, women's soccer grow over here. So it's, we know that Brazil is the country of soccer, correct? But when you think Brazil the country of soccer is for the men's. That, that is the thing. You know, when we talk about our experience in women's soccer, they say, no, I cannot believe that you guys went through that because, you know, Brazil is the country of soccer. But I said, yes, but the reality for the women's soccer in Brazil is completely different. If we think about women's soccer, the country of women's soccer is U.S., because all the structure, all the levels, of the, all the different levels, all the amount of kids, girls that play soccer here, this is the country of women's soccer. 
when we think about women's soccer, Brazil is still just in the beginning of the the things up there. And that is our fight because everything is slow there. You know, you don't see a lot of changes in stru structure because we live in a culture where it's a macho culture, you know, it's very sexist sometimes. And we need to fight that because, you know, sometimes people think that the girls that uh, play, they, they, they related the, the girls that play soccer to uh, sexual orientation. Oh, they relate the, 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 play, the girls that play soccer in Brazil with a, a kind of sexual object, you know? So they, mm -hmm. it cannot be like that. We need to change, you know? Girls play soccer because they love soccer, you know? They love the sport. It's not because they want to make the fantasy, sexual fantasy for, for guys up there. They just want to be able to play the sport that they love. And unfortunately, in a macho culture that we lived, we have to always fight for, fight for, fight for better quality of tournaments, or we need to fight for better structure, or we need to fight for better wages, or we need to fight for... So we need to fight for everything up there. And, you know, it's 30 years of fighting, 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 and, and we are in a point that, okay, all we change, effectively change right now, with FIFA giving the support, Oh, we're going to be behind of uh, other nations a lot, you know, because other nations are improving and we are not. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thank you both so much for your time today. I hope you know that Burn It All Down supports you and, and values you, and we admire you so much in your fight. Thank you so much, Brenda. Thank you for the opportunity. We appreciate it. Thank you. One of our favorite interviews of this year is from episode 22, when Lindsay chatted with Kelsey Bone about taking a knee, athletic activism, and her time in the WNBA. The interview shines a much-needed light on the often-overlooked presence of women in discussions around athletic activism. And it's a great conversation. Take a listen. All right. Hello, everyone. I am here with Kelsey Bone, former WNBA All-Star, 2015 Most Improved Player, fifth overall pick, I believe, in the, was it 2013 draft, Kelsey? Is that that's correct. Okay. I wrote 2015 in my notes, and that's definitely <laughs> not right, so I have to check. Kelsey was also which one of the first, if not the first, I believe, WNBA player last year to actually take a knee and kneel during the national anthem. Kelsey, I just wanted to take you back to last summer. Midsummer, you got traded from Connecticut to Phoenix. And I believe right around that time was when there were two really high-profile police shootings and players in the WNBA began wearing Black Lives Matter t-shirts. What was that time like for you? And, and what conversations were you having in the Phoenix locker room with your new teammates? Well, it was a very, very interesting time for me because you walk into a team such as the Phoenix Mercury. You have all these great players. You have this great tradition. You know, this is an organ one of the original organizations, one of, you know, the organization. There's all this greatness that you're surrounded by and then real life happens. And while you're trying to fit in into all this greatness, things that really mean something to you and things that really matter, you kind of have to speak up. I have a, a younger brother who's 16. My brother is today, he's 6'6". Six, six. And I remember the the shooting of Terrence Crutcher in Oklahoma. And 
I remember those cops sitting in the helicopter looking down and saying, oh, whoa, that's a big, bad dude. And I remember thinking, how, how do you know that? It's funny because I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm having, I'm back in that moment. And you talk about a big, bad dude and you talk about what does that look like? You know, my, my father is six, five, my stepdad, six, three, my brother, six, six. I have two uncles that are six, seven and six, eight. I mean, I'm six, four myself. So what, what makes you big and bad? And then I fast forward to this summer and I get a phone call from my mother that she's, my brother's called her from the mall to come pick him up because he's been apprehended for shoplifting. Oh my God. Now, if you know my brother, that's how you respond. I literally just landed back in Las Vegas. I just flown from Houston back to Las Vegas when I got this phone call and the the emotion that I felt in, in, in getting that phone call, what could I do? I was I was stuck. My brother's a, a junior in high school. He just turned 16. He has a 3.8 GPA, varsity basketball player, number seven ranked kid in the city. He was racially profiled in Saks Fifth Avenue. Why did I kneel? What was going through my head when I kneeled? I didn't care about who was going to be the president. I didn't care about who felt what. I cared about Donovan Kennedy Williams. I cared about the little boy that is my little brother because I felt that in my heart. It is that easy for it to be my brother. And a year later, it was my brother. Now, luckily, my mom is savvy enough and my mom works for the school district and she can go and get a lawyer and she can go and get my brother out of this situation. And if I never had this conversation on your podcast, no one would ever know that this happened to my brother because my mom is that good. But everybody's mom is not. Yeah. Khalid Browder's mom couldn't go just get him a lawyer. She couldn't get her son off of Rikers Island and it killed the both of them. Everybody's not privy to the things that I'm privy to. So I kneeled for the people who who don't have anyone speaking for them, who I kneeled. Colin Kaepernick was right. We need to talk about this. Right. How do we tell these black men how to live and how to thrive and how to become successful parts of society? If all we do is show them images of them being gunned down, no matter if you're right, no matter if you're wrong, no matter if you're good, no matter if you're bad, you're all susceptible to the same thing death. Did you talk with your teammates about it before you took a knee? I know that you guys had obviously had, there had to have been some sort of conversation about the Black Lives Matter movement earlier in the summer. Is that correct? When you wore the shirts? Yes. Yes. How did that go? I know because that was when you were just gotten there. Well, actually, my teammate Misty Bass, who was a big part of our Players Association and was very vocal in having conversations with the rest of the teams in the league on, you know, the stance that we were going to take and the the type of voice we wanted to have in the communities that we serve. Phoenix, D.C., New York, Minnesota, a couple other teams, you know, they made that we did the shirt thing. Yes, Mm -hmm. Misty and I, we were two of the people who were very vocal in the the fines. You know, you're going to fine us $5,000 a team, $500 a shirt. And that was something that even in that happening, in in, in that being something that Misty and I pushed very heavily, 
our teammates were cool with that. No one was upset about the fines. We all talked about it. Everybody was okay with it. The fines were rescinded. I didn't tell anyone that I planned on kneeling. My mom didn't know. My girlfriend didn't know. No one, no one knew. I told no one that I was going to kneel because I didn't want anyone to, one, try to stop me from doing it. And for two, I just didn't want anybody's opinion about it. You know, I didn't want to, I didn't feel that I needed to explain myself. And, and I wasn't, I wasn't in the place where I really wanted to hear, well, this might be the consequence of, or anything like that, because I was going to do it regardless. So I might as well not even listen to that part. Right. What was the reaction from your teammates and from fans? You know, for a very long time, no one kind of even noticed because I, I lined up at the very end of the line because I was, new there so I just got in where I fit in at the yeah. end of the line so a lot of times I remember someone interviewing my coach Sandy Brondello and asking her about it and she she had no idea that I had been kneeling and this was like game four at that wow. time like she didn't even know wow and I'll say this about my time in Phoenix the the best organization ever I mean no one made me feel any type of way about it they were very supportive no one asked me to stop no one ever even mentioned it to me actually I remember being at Penny Taylor's retirement dinner and Sue Bird saying something to me about good job kneeling, Kels. And Sandy, you know, she tells me the story of, yeah, I I didn't even know you were doing it until they asked me the other day. Good job, Kels. And and that was that was it. You know, the fans, I got a lot of support from fans on Twitter in the beginning. And then right around the playoffs, a lot of backlash started to come. You know, I think our first game was Indiana versus the Phoenix Mercury. And we... You know, it was either Penny's last game or Tamika's last game. And there was this whole big thing about, you know, if I were to kneel, it would be the most disrespectful thing I could do to such legends in the game. And then the entire Phoenix Mercury, I mean, the entire Indiana Fever team takes a knee. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, eh. You know, I I was told that I was looking for attention. You know, I was doing this for this and all kinds of stuff. And no. That was never my agenda. That was never my motive. That was never, I I never had anything other than I, there's a young black boy in this world that belongs to me. Obviously the infant protests have been reignited. There were some players who were still continuing them, but with Trump's comments, they were reignited. And I saw you post on Instagram, a picture of you kneeling last year. And you said, they told me I was just looking for attention. 365 days later, everybody's awake. Mm-hmm. What has it been like seeing this movement reignited? And do you think that the conversation is getting away from where it started and where it needs to be? You know, initially, when I initially saw the clip of Trump saying, you know, what he said, calling the players SOBs and things like that, my initial knee-jerk reaction was, I hope every player of color kneels tomorrow. But I do understand, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, do, what, do what's for you. Everybody's not comfortable with kneeling. Some people might want to lock arms. Some people might just can put their, sh- their hand on your shoulder and sh- show support and solidarity for your cause. Yeah. But the issue I have with the situation is that the narrative has completely shifted. We're no longer talking about the social injustice and the inequalities of people of color being shot and killed by the police and the police getting away with it at alarming rates. We're not talking about that anymore. We're talking about Donald Trump. And I know that I can't be the only person in this country that is tired of talking about what Donald Trump has said. 
You're definitely not. I can, there's another <laughs> one know, right here. It, yeah. It, 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 I, it's literally driven me to a headache the past few days. Like, I don't want to have conversations about it anymore. That's not what it was about to begin with. There's no disrespect to the flag. It, you know, when you protest something, the best way to do it is you do it in a way where that's going to get people's attention. Colin Kaepernick just wanted people to start talking. He just, he wasn't being disrespectful to, to the military, to vets, to, to anybody, to the flag. He wanted to spark a conversation. He didn't say he was going to kneel forever. He just wanted to spark the conversation. Now, this man doesn't have a job anymore, and we can kind of all say what we want to say about it, but he doesn't have a job because he's caused all this trouble. Okay, he's okay with that. When you step out and you you lead the charge, there's a lot of consequences that come with that, and I'm pretty sure that Colin Kaepernick weighed those consequences before he took a knee. But I feel like we've definitely gotten away from what this was about. How do athletes get to that conversation back? Because, you know, we've all seen the, you know, every athlete that's kneeled just about or that's done something has made a post on social media. And you have to push that narrative. You can't you can't talk about inclusiveness and and we're all doing this together and we're united because this is not a united front just yet. We are not united. Unfortunately, we are not united. We are. This is not a, a, a movement of unity. This is a movement of alarm. Hello, wake up. Do you see us? Do you hear us? We are not trying to go back to where we've come from. Okay, that's everything for today's episode. I must say it was very difficult to choose just three interviews to highlight. All of our guests in our 33 episodes have been absolutely positively fantastic. We have been blessed beyond measure, but I hope this gave you a little variety of the things that we've done. I hope that you all had a wonderful holiday season. We're looking forward to talking with you the rest of this year. We have some incredible things planned for January. Remember to review us on iTunes. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter. On Twitter, we're Burn It Down Pod. On Facebook, we're Burn It All Down Pod. And our Patreon campaign is patreon.com slash burn it all down. Until next time. And I'll suck you.